Well, we are beginning a brand new series this morning through the book of Joshua. It is called Fearless, Facing Our Future. And I'm really excited about this series. Uh, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and I've actually never before now done a series through this book. So I just can't wait to see what God is going to teach us. Uh, For the rest of this fall, we are going to be working our way uh, through the book of Joshua The story of Joshua, the story of the Israelite people as they are moving into and they're taking possession of the land that God had promised them. And it's really relevant for us right now as a church because Southwinds is also in a time, a season of transition. We are moving into a new season of the mission God has for us. Our campus is expanding and it's exciting, isn't it, every week to show up and see the changes, see the new stuff that's happening Uh, with our new 700-seat auditorium that we're going to be moving into next spring. A lot of things are going to be happening. We're going to have a lot more room uh, for you to invite your friends to come and worship with us. Our student ministry is going to move from the building across the courtyard into this building. They're going to have a lot more space. Our our children's ministry is going to occupy the space that the students are in now. They're going to increase their space by about 50%. Uh, We're going to have a lot more uh, options and capacity uh, to serve the Lord and to serve the people in our communities. So God is really blessing us. And I'm really reminded, too, at this season of of how much, as I think about two weeks ago, when we had our, our last baptism, we had exactly 40 people come forward, receive baptism, publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ. It was an amazing day that we got to celebrate together. Amen? If you were there. Uh, just to give you some historical perspective, we have now seen over 1,200 people profess faith in Jesus and receive baptism in the last uh, 15 years. God is doing so much uh, for us as a church family. But today, uh, I want us to realize that God has so much more in store for us. See, in Tracy and in Mountain House and Lathrop, uh, there are tens of thousands of people who do not know Jesus Christ all around us. And only God knows uh, what is there before us to serve and to minister to. Only God knows how many marriages around us need restoration. Only God knows how many people all around us are suffering from mental health difficulties and addictions of various kinds, and they need grace and they need support. Only God knows how many children and how many teenagers are living in broken homes, and they need someone to accept them and to love them and and to help them change the trajectory of their lives. And only God knows how many people all around us look like they have perfect lives. They have good jobs. They have beautiful homes, nice cars. Everything looks perfect, but the truth is inside they're empty. They're searching See, here's the point, Southwinds. We have so much spiritual territory to take possession of for our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our future. This is the reason that we are here. And this is the reason why the book of Joshua is so important. You're going to see in the weeks ahead that, that Joshua is going to teach each one of us truth that we need to know as we are journeying into the future that God has for us. Some of you... Uh, and you know who you are, maybe no one else does, but some of you right now are are personally consumed with fear, consumed with anxiety about our future, the future you have. It it all looks really bad to you as you look around. 
where you too need to hear what Joshua tells you, that you have a great God, and this great God is all-powerful, and he is pure love, and in his goodness, he has promised to always be with you and never forsake you, no matter where you are, no matter where you go. So here's how Joshua applies to us today. God has a, a promised land life that he wants us to live. It is something that he has prepared for us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But it is something that we have to possess. It is something that we have to take hold of. We have to choose to move forward into that life that he's already given us by his grace. In other words, we need to face the future without fear. Now We're, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1 today, and so if you're not there yet, go ahead and get your Bible open. Uh, get yourself ready. We're going to talk about taking hold of our tomorrows. And before we actually get into the verses, I want to set the stage, kind of set the context for us so we know uh, where we are exactly. The year, as Joshua opens, is approximately 1406 B.C. And there's a lot of history leading up to this. You'll remember 40 years before Uh, God had set the Israelites free from Egyptian slavery, that amazing event known as the Exodus. Moses had gone before Pharaoh and had said, let my people go. And and then God had delivered them when Charlton Heston parted the Red Sea. (laughs) And after that, shortly after that, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments up there on Mount Sinai. What a an amazing day that must have been. And following that, the, the nation, this new nation is living out in the desert, out in the wilderness. God has formed them, this new people, uh, free, just newly freed slaves into a brand new nation. And I want to show you some images that I think may help you uh, really grab a hold of what is about to happen. I want to show you where their route takes them. And I want to show you on a satellite map, okay? Now, you can see here the Mediterranean Sea to the west. Uh, You can see back towards the south, Egypt, uh, where they were in slavery for 400 years. And you can see the approximate route that they took up to the southern uh, border of Canaan, going through the desert of the Sinai Peninsula, uh, right up to the border of this land known then as Canaan. Today we know it as Israel. And they went there because this was their homeland. Uh, God had given it to their ancestor Abraham, and his descendants had lived and had thrived there. But 400 years earlier, if you remember the story in in Genesis, they had to leave because of a drought. And God had promised them, one day you will be back. Now, I want to show you this satellite imagery because I think it'll help you understand how drastically different this territory is from everything that surrounds it. As you look at this image, you see the ocean uh, on the west coast, You see the desert where it's all brown surrounding uh, on the south and the east. Uh, Plus, as you look toward the north, there's mountains up there. And you can see in this image some snow that's up on the top. And so you have this land and it's mostly green. It's pretty lush. There's great farmland there. There's beautiful hills and beautiful valleys. There's a couple of lakes that are on the eastern border with a river uh, connecting those lakes But it's all surrounded by mountains and desert and ocean on the West Coast. Now, does this remind anyone of any place else on earth? California, right? Yeah, it's exactly exactly what it looks a lot like. In fact, 
If you go there, you'll see southern Israel looks a whole lot like southern California. You got a couple of pictures here. Uh, don't those beaches look like maybe something out of Orange County? Those are beaches in southern Israel. And, and then if you go up to the north, there's a lot of parts there that look a lot like northern California. Um, this next slide shows a couple of images of the Banyas Waterfall, which is up in the north. It's near the Mount Hermon Range uh, in the far north of the area. This is probably not what you think of when you think of the land of Israel, right? I mean, we think desert, but, but Israel is not primarily desert. I mean, it, it wouldn't be the promised land if it was desert, right? See, the promised land is a lot like California. In fact, I kind of learned this in a different way when I was pastoring. You know, before I came here, I grew up in California, but I spent 13 years serving a church in the Chicago suburbs uh, in the Midwest, up there where it's like the frozen tundra for half of the year, it seems like. And we used to have, kind of have these friendly debates, me and some of the people in the church, because they would tell me, this is the way the world ought to be. And I would say, this is not the way the world ought to be. They would say, it wouldn't be Christmas without snow. And I would say, well, where I grew up, you could actually go outside and play with your toys on Christmas and not die of frostbite. And then I would play my trump card. I would tell them, look, here's the thing. I've been studying the Bible and the Bible times and the Bible land for a long time. And one of the things that I've learned is that Israel is in a place where they have what we know as a Mediterranean climate, which is a lot like where I grew up in California. And I would say to them, you know what? You like this, but me, well, I just think the fact that Jesus, when he chose to come to earth, chose to come to a place with weather like California says something. I'm sticking with Jesus, okay? It's a lot like California. It's a lot like California. Now, just imagine, you've seen these images, you've seen the satellites imagery. Imagine the appeal of this land, especially to these people who had been living and known nothing more than the searing hot desert of Egypt. See, it's very easy to understand why these slaves would call this the promised land. I mean, imagine how they must have dreamed about it. They told pictures about it. They, they pictured returning there, imagining this land as the land of milk and honey, their homeland that they were longing for. And so they took that short journey across the wilderness. They're now finally free. They get up to the border that they're there. They send 12 spies out to explore the land. And 10 of those 12 spies come back with a terrible report. They say, bad news. While we were gone, someone moved into our house. And they're really bad people. Well, we know that they were just regular people on the other side. But these, these out of their fear, these 10 spies exaggerated. They said, they're like giants and we're like grasshoppers too compared to them. We can't do it. We can't take it. Only two men, Joshua and Caleb said, no, we don't see giants. We see a giant upside. We can do it with God's help. We believe in God's promises. But the nation, the people, believed their negative report, and they panicked over the uncertainty of the future. They gave up, and they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years you see, this is a free people. God had set them free from slavery in the Exodus. They're free, but they're aimless. This actually describes how a lot of people actually live. What happens next? 
Well, we find ourselves here, Joshua 1, in this first generation of people who didn't believe. They'd all died in the desert, everyone except Joshua and Caleb. And once again, they're at this point of decision. They come now to the eastern side. They're on the shores of the Jordan River. It is the border, the eastern border of the promised land. They're looking west. They're trying to decide, will we go forward or will we move back into the desert? They know they don't want to go back to slavery, but they are so afraid of the future. There's a kind of psychology at work here, just this huge truth that operates throughout the book of Joshua, and it really helps us understand life in general. And you can put it down this way. Maybe write this down. Many of the best things in life are events that start a process. Events that start a process. See, where we often get messed up is we get to the event, the big event, and we think, job is done. I've made it. I've achieved it. But that's not really how most things in life work. I mean, how many of you know that when you trusted Christ, it was an event that started a process? I mean, wouldn't it have been nice? You know, you pray to receive Christ. Your eyes are closed. You close. You trust him. You invite him into your life. He is your Lord and Savior now. And you open your eyes and you look around and you're in heaven. That would have been cool, right? But that's not how it works, is it? That's not how most things in life work. I mean, what happened is we trust Christ. He comes into our life. That's an event. He saves us. But now we enter into this lifelong process of discipleship and sanctification. And it was the same way with the Israelites. They were free. That was their identity, a free nation. The exodus was an event that started a process, literally the step-by-step, day-by-day process of entering into the promised land, a land that God had already promised to give them. And that is life. And sometimes it surprises us. You know, like you get married and that's a big event, but then suddenly one day you you, you wake up and you look across the room at Dream Lover and you realize this is going to be a process. (laughs) Or maybe you finally get into college and, you know, you've been working and working for years to make it. And, you know, you get your letter of acceptance. Your parents throw you a party when you graduate. Everybody's celebrating. But so many college freshmen quit because the process can be very difficult. Or like when you have a baby. Maybe you've been waiting for years for that and you realize, and usually you realize this like in the middle of the night sometime, that birth event, that begins a process raising that baby. See, so often what happens is we have this big event and then the process that comes next is by definition, it's uncertain. We've never walked this process before and it's scary. And some of you right now are paralyzed by indecision. You're right on the border of something that God has given you. He he has it for you. You're right on the border of marriage maybe or right on the border of college, or maybe, maybe you're here today and you're right on the border of following Jesus Christ. But that uncertainty of the future, that uncertainty of the process, what lies beyond, it intimidates and frightens you so much. Because you know, by definition, the future is kind of vague. It's kind of foggy. We really can't see. We really don't know what lies beyond the border of where we are today. And maybe you're someone who's fears have intimidated you into indecision. 
See, the question that faces us as we read and study Joshua 1 is, how can I face my future without fear? Now, here's how Joshua begins. Verses 1 through 5 says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. See, don't dwell on the past. Moses was an incredible leader. God accomplished so much through him. But that era is finished. So now move forward. And we all need to hear that sometime. Now then, continuing on, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, And from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's how Joshua opens. I want to tell you how this story, this entire story of Joshua unfolds. I'll give you like a simple four-part outline or overview of the book. Joshua 1 through 5, as we're going to see, is about moving into the land. Joshua 6 through 12 is about the battles for the land. And we're going to discover there are seven distinct tribes there. The Bible calls them the Canaanites, but they weren't a Canaanite kingdom or nation like we would think about them. They were really like seven distinct city-states, each with their own king. They were living in the land. Joshua 13 to 22 is about dividing up the land. And after the conquest is done, there's a lot of drama, as we're going to see, because the 12 tribes, they don't always get along. And then the last two chapters, 23 and 24, are about Joshua's final words. Now, we're not going to have time this fall to look at every verse, but we're going to get the big picture. And, And as you look at this outline of Joshua, what would you guess is the most controversial part of Joshua in the 21st century. It's that second part. It's the battles. And and 21st century people will read about these battles, maybe some of you, and and they'll say they're violent and bloodthirsty. This is like genocide here. Some people will think that these battles encourage violence today. Some people will wonder, what does this say about God, who he is? Now, we're going to look at this in more depth later, but I want today really quickly just to encourage you to simply listen to the entire story first before you pass any judgments about what's going on here. Uh, We're real skilled these days at everybody doing these hot takes, you know, right on the moment. And, And way too often, people who think they know so very much, the truth is they don't know anything at all. So we're going to come back to this, but I hope you'll just listen to the story if you find yourself troubled. And what we're going to do today, what I want to encourage you to do today, is to see the the timeless principles we see in Joshua chapter 1. What is God seeking to teach us through his inspired and unerring word? We're going to focus in this morning on a phrase that gets repeated four times in Joshua 1. Three times God says it. One time the people say it. It's four basic words, be strong and courageous. Let's just say that together, okay, just to kind of say it out, express it out loud. Be strong and courageous. 
I'm going to ask you to repeat that a few times as we encounter it through this story, working our way into it. And each time you're going to see that God repeats this, he gives Joshua and the people a new reason that they can be strong and courageous. And and these principles, when we see them and believe them and act on them, they will begin to give us this filter through which we can see the future, a, a filter that will give us strength and give us courage. So how do I take hold of tomorrow? How do I face my future without fear? Here's the first thing. Go ahead and write this down in your notes. You take hold of God's unchanging promises. You see, if you're going to move into an uncertain future with strength and courage, you need a steady place to stand. You need a foundation. And God's unchanging promises give you what you need to face an uncertain future. See, Joshua personally As the leader, he needed a promise from God. He was about to have to lead a nation into battle, to lead a people into war, and God gave him one. Look at verse six. It says, God is speaking to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. You see it? God makes a promise. God wanted Joshua to take hold of that promise as he was leading God's people into this uncertain future. And it was an amazing promise. Just stop to think about it. God was promising to give these people all of this land. Back in verses three and four, God says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. That's like south to north. From the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west, east to west. See, God had this incredible tomorrow in store for his people. And here's the contrast. Think about this. Did it occur to you? They had never owned anything. They had lived their entire lives as slaves. That's all they'd ever known. But now God is promising them this entire land. And it's a beautiful land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And all they had to do was follow God and obey God, and it would be theirs I want you to stop and think for a moment about what God has done for you. You ever ponder that? See, one day in your life, if you know Jesus Christ, one day, I don't know how long ago it's been for you, but one day God came to you and God said to you, I have an incredible tomorrow in store for you. I want to set you free from your past. I want to forgive your sins. Do you remember the day God said that to you and you heard it and you believed it? God, at some point in the past, came to you and he said to you, I want to set you free from your selfishness and your pride that is destroying your life. God said, I want to set you free from the bitterness and the anger that you have towards your parents, those chains that are holding you and keeping you from experiencing joy. I want to set you free from your addictions. God came to you and said, I want to set you free from your past. But not only that, God came to you and he said, I want to transform your present. I want to give you power, God said, over sin in your life today. Sin does not need to reign over you anymore. God said, I want to give you peace in your heart, even when your life seems to be falling apart. I want to give you joy, even in painful suffering. God came to you, amen? Did he ever do anything like that in your life? Do you ever stop to think about what that means? 
See, if God has done that for you in your past, he's done that about your past, and God is now doing those kinds of things and so much more right now for you in your present, then here's the question. Can you trust his promises about the future? See, we need to remember this. The God who has been faithful in our past and who is being faithful in our present every day, that God will be faithful in our future. He gives us unchanging promises. There's something you need to know about those promises. Go ahead and write this down. God's promises to us grow out of his purposes for us. That was true back then, and it's true now. See, God is promising Joshua he would lead his people to accomplish God's purpose for his people to take possession of the land. See, God had a purpose for Joshua's life, and the promise reminds Joshua of that. What, in essence, God is saying to Joshua is, remember why you're here in the first place. You're here to lead my people, to start a new nation. So, Joshua, stay on mission. Don't let your fears distract you from your mission. And God says the same thing to all Christ followers. In fact... Think about it. God is saying to us as well, similarly, you are here. This is your purpose to start a new country too. I've put you in this world to expand my kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That is our purpose. That's why we're here. And it's not a kingdom with land and physical resources. It's a spiritual kingdom. It is a kingdom that advances and takes territory, one heart at a time. And as it does that, it has impact all around it. Think of the season we've just come out of in our studies together. We just finished a a series called My True Selfie. And if you were here, you know that we learned that in Jesus, our identity is in Christ. So if you know him, that's uh, that's who we are. We are in Christ That means you are a son or a daughter of God. You are a saint that has been made holy for God's own possession. You have been set free from the guilt and power of sin. And all those things God did for you, God made you to be those things so that, as we saw last week, you would be Christ's ambassador. That's your purpose. That is your purpose. And I think what you need to understand is the more you live that purpose, the more you will see God's promises working out in your life. And the more you see God's promises working out in your life, hear this, the less you will live in fear of the future. I think one of the reasons that so many of us fear the future is we're not living out God's purposes for us. We think our life is about our purpose And if you're living your life and it's about your purpose, well, it's no wonder you're afraid because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Amen? You cannot control the future. I mean, some of you think you can. But some of us need to be reminded that there is a God and it's not you. He's not you. You see, it's only when we're living the purposes of God that we can have confidence in the promises of God because God connects his promises to our, the purposes that he has for us. So keep this in mind as you face the future. I mean, you know, realize that just like God set the nation of Israel free from slavery, God has set us free from slavery to sin and guilt. And we are free. But if we don't live according to God's purposes, we can be like those people wandering in the wilderness. We can be free, but aimless. 
when you live God's purposes, when you serve what God has for you in your life, then you will have his promises guiding you and making you secure, giving you a firm foundation on which to stand. I was thinking about this this week and thinking about the reality that knowing God's purpose is such a unifying message. And we're going to see as we continue on into the book of Joshua that the people of Israel are actually internally divided in many ways. These 12 tribes had these varying allegiances. And Joshua has to keep on rallying the people, bring them together to stay on mission. It reminds me of life with other believers sometimes. You know, we have different thoughts and we have different priorities sometimes. And, and sometimes we get in conflict with each other. And I think the way that we stay together, stay unified, is when we focus on sharing the same mission. This is such a word for this time we live in right now. I mean, we are so divided, not only, you know, in our communities, but across our nation, more divided than we've been in a long time. And maybe what we need to do as believers is focus on our common mission. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've discovered that if I'm like online checking social media and checking the internet to see what the headlines are like every 30 minutes, it brings such peace and joy into my life. Has anybody else discovered that? Why do we do that? God didn't make us to live like that. If you want to check something every 30 minutes, open God's word every 30 minutes and see what God still says to you, okay? Live that way. Focus your life on the purposes of God. I mean, there are important things happening in our world, and we may need to establish some perspective on those things, but it's those things are always less important and they are always secondary to what God has for us as servants, as people in his kingdom. Now let me move you to the second thing we see. Uh, the second way we take hold of our tomorrows is we take hold of God's life-giving principles. Now what we're talking about here is God's word, the Bible. And this is the second time God makes this statement. In verse 7, he says, be strong and very courageous. Go ahead and say that one with me. Be strong and very courageous. And then God tells them how to do it. He says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. And that is not a political statement, by the way. That you may be successful wherever you go. Anybody want to be successful in their life? Well, listen to verse 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, by the way, Joshua 1.8 would be a great verse to memorize. If you're looking for a verse to memorize, I'm giving you one right here. And I want to just focus in on one phrase. There's so much in this verse, but I'm going to focus on the phrase meditate on it day and night. Has anyone else ever noticed that there is something about meditating on the word of God that brings you strength and courage? You can write it down. Meditating on God's word develops strength and courage. I heard about a guy not too long ago who lives in another part of the Bay Area. He was telling a story Uh, in his life about how the very first Bible verse he ever memorized as an adult was Joshua 1, 9. 
which says, be strong and courageous, for I will be with you wherever you go. That's God's promise. And he didn't really know why he chose that verse, but he did, and he memorized it. And a few days later, he had an embolism that almost killed him. He, he said in the hospital, everybody thought he was going to die. He said the doctors thought he was going to die. Uh, I, I thought I was going to die. And he said, but I just kept repeating Joshua 1.9 in my head. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And he said, I just, I had perfect peace in that hospital while I was thinking I was going to die. He got better and he said, it was kind of funny. I was almost disappointed that I survived. <laughs> Here's the truth. You will never, ever regret any time you have spent memorizing and meditating on the Word of God. It's never going to happen. And, you know, I think some of you have been learning that. We, we kind of had a memory passage in our last series. And I, I have to tell you, I was so excited the second week of our My True Selfie series. This is a few weeks ago because on the first week of that series, I had encouraged everybody to start memorizing 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. I mean, a week before. And on the second Sunday of that series, I had two people walk up to me and they said, Pastor Mike, and they just started saying those verses. They didn't say hi or anything. They just started saying those verses to me. And I got so excited. I was so encouraged. You know why? Because someone was actually listening to what I said. <laughs> it was amazing. It was so awesome. Uh, in fact, people who memorize and meditate on God's word always say it's such a blessing. It makes such a difference in my life. So I'm going to encourage you. Will you Find some verses to memorize and find some verses, therefore, that you can meditate on where you're just thinking through what God's word is saying. You say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to pick. Well, you've got a whole Bible. Any verse is a great verse to memorize, except maybe, I just thought of this, you probably don't want to memorize that verse that says Judas went out and hanged himself. That's not a good, that's not a good memory verse. It's true, but it's not a good memory verse. Uh, but if you will check out our social media this week, I'm going to put some verses up there uh, that will be suggestions for you if you need some help. But just find some things to memorize and meditate on them, and you will find your life changed. Now, I also want to encourage you um, under this heading that you need to make a plan to get into God's Word. You actually hear me say this all the time. But I want to give you a promise, okay? This is not a promise from God. This is a mic promise. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it because it's that important, and some of you haven't listened yet. You haven't made a plan. We, we do everything we can to make this easy for you. We actually have plans that you can pick up out in the lobby in that, in that rack that's out there on the wall. There's brochures and pamphlets and things there, and there's, there's uh, Bible reading plans. We have a couple that are there for you. You can download Bible apps. There's several of them. One of them, the most popular, is called the Version, the Bible app. There's literally over a 1,000 Bible reading plans that are there. They're all free. You can go on the Internet even. The Internet actually has a few things that are good on it. You can find Bible reading plans on the Internet. But just do it. Just find a plan. Don't think about it too hard. Just get yourself something that you can run on and you can track with. Make a plan to get into God's Word. Second principle. So we've had the first principle where we take hold of God's promises. The second principle, we take hold of God's principles, but there's something else we need. 
And this is really, really good news uh, you're going to see here. Because carrying this out is not all up to you. You don't have to do this in your own strength. And we see that in the third uh, principle, which is take hold of God's unfailing presence. This is so beautiful. Third time God uses this phrase is in Joshua 1, 9, and he says this, have I not commanded you? Now I want you to read the rest of this verse out loud with me, all right? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, this is actually a a principle that's repeated all through the Bible. One example, Hebrews 13, 5 says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. How do we know? How do we know that God will keep this promise? Well, I'm going to tell you. We know because God has demonstrated that he will never leave us or forsake us in the ultimate way. You say, what are you talking about? Well, there was someone else in the Bible named Joshua. I don't know if you knew that. He's actually a pretty major character in the Bible. He lived about 1,400 years after Joshua, and he also started a nation, but it's a different kind of a nation. He was a nation builder too. Did you know that the name Joshua means Yahweh saves? Did you know that in the Greek New Testament, the same word Joshua is translated Jesus? Did you know that Joshua and Jesus actually have the same exact name, just in two different languages? You see, Jesus became the ultimate example of how the Lord saves. Jesus was the ultimate deliverer out of slavery into freedom. And Jesus loves you so much that he accomplished all of that for you on the cross. And it was an event that started a process And that process is a process where we go step by step, day by day, walking into the life that God has already given us in his son, Jesus Christ. This is so important to understand. God says, as you walk into that promised land life that I have already given to you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Wherever you go, I will be with you. See, God does not promise us smooth sailing, but he promises us something better. He promises us his presence. And taking hold of God's presence makes such an incredible difference. Now, how does all of this happen? I want to bring one more thing in before we close. Because the rest of Joshua 1 reminds us of a very important truth. And uh, this is uh, not going to be on your screen, on the screen, but you can write it down. The rest of Joshua 1 reminds us that all these things I've been talking about, they happen in community. Or, or maybe you could put it this way. Taking hold of our tomorrows is not a solo sport. You don't do it by yourself. We need to face our future together because we're a family. We're all God's children Joshua 1 verses 10 and 11 says, So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. They all had to do this. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. So they had to do this together. They needed to prepare together. They were to go in together. Now, 
In verses 12 and 13, we get a little hint that there might have been some issues. So remember the scene. The 12 tribes are all there. They're at the eastern edge of the promised land. They're standing, uh, looking across the Jordan River, looking west into the promised land. And as they're there, two and a half of the tribes come to Joshua and they say, we have a great idea, Joshua. How about if our two and a half tribes stay over here? Because there's plenty of land over here. And, and you know, that will make it even better for the rest of you because that'll mean more land for you over there. We'll just stay here and, and you guys can go in and take the land without us. Would that be okay? And they kind of played what they thought was their trump card because they said, well, before Moses died, we asked him and he said it was okay. So... What does Joshua, how does he respond? Look at verses 14 and 15. Joshua says, Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. What does Joshua say to them? Well, he basically says, sorry, guys, but we're a team. We're all in this together. We're going to take the promised land together. Victory depends on everyone participating, everyone doing their part. So no one sits this one out. That's what Joshua said. Let me apply Joshua's word to our Southwinds family today. See, what this tells us, among other things, is that if this is your church, we need your participation. We have so many things happening here that you can be a part of. I'll just mention a couple. Do you understand that every week on Sundays and throughout the week, we have literally hundreds, almost 500 children and teenagers who need adults to volunteer and serve and help those children learn about Jesus and his love, help those teenagers learn about how to live the kind of life that honors God and the kind of life that will bring wholeness to their lives. We need small group leaders for adults. We have a vision. You've heard about it before. I've been sharing this with you that I believe God is calling us to to become a place, a church with 1,000 adults in small groups all across this West San Joaquin Valley. Right now, we're past 500, and that's great. That's amazing, but we have a long way to go. And without more leaders, without more people stepping up and and giving of their time and giving of their energy, we're not going to get there. We're not going to be able to take that territory. Another example is that we're in a season called Next Gen. You've heard about it. You're continuing to hear about it. It started uh, 27 months ago when we shared the vision that God has given us. We entered into this season of time. And if you were here in 2016, you may remember that as a family of Southwinds, we together pledged $2.58 million so that we could accomplish what we believe God had, had given us to do. This was over and above our regular giving. You know, we're, we're not going to cheat our regular giving. We can have ministries that are ongoing that need to be supported. Well, today I'm sharing with you our, our progress, kind of an update. 27 months in, that's three-fourths of the journey. We have received $1,801,646. And that is amazing. And that is we're celebrating. Go ahead. You can do it. 
I mean, just, just think about that. Almost $2 million has been given above and beyond our regular giving. That's very good news. But we also need to be real. And we need to look at the challenge. You see that top bar, it's three-fourths of the way there. But you see the bottom bar, which actually represents our actual giving, and it's tracking a little behind. We're 75% of the way into the journey, but we're at 69% of the pledges. That means that we need to stay faithful through the remainder of this journey. So I want to just challenge you, wherever you are, in relationship to Next Gen if you would consider joining us and staying on this journey. Maybe you're newer to Southwinds, but you're here and you consider this your church. Maybe you came after we started this next-gen season. And if you're here and you've not made a commitment to next-gen, I'm just going to ask you, would you consider giving generously toward this goal above and beyond your regular giving for the next nine months? Maybe you're like many of us. You've made a commitment and you haven't completed that commitment yet, well, there's some people who are praying for you that you'll be able to persevere and follow through. Some of you are here and you're in another place. Some of you are here and you've actually completed your commitment. And I want to say thank you. You actually did what you said you would do, but maybe it's true that God has so blessed you that you still can give more above and beyond what you committed to do. Some of you actually, here's the interesting thing, about 50 individuals and families have been doing that for some time now. And I just want to say thank you to to you. You know who you are. But maybe you haven't thought about that. Maybe God would encourage you and enable you to keep giving and keep sharing as we continue this journey together. There's 160 individuals and families who did not make a pledge, but they have contributed together uh, almost $100,000, and we're grateful for that. We encourage you to keep on sharing as you have the ability. Here's the point of all of this. We need everyone. We're a team, and this is a goal we will not be able to reach if everyone is not participating. Here's my hope for us, all of us, as a church. A few months from now, about five months from now, we're going to be occupying that new building, God willing. And one Sunday, we're all going to walk into that brand new auditorium. There's going to be hundreds of people walking in with you. And my prayer and my hope for you is that as we walk into that new building and as we sing God's praises in that new building and as we listen to God's word proclaimed in that new building, that you will be able to rejoice and you will be able to say, I am been part of the team that has made this possible through God's power. You can do that because God has given us a future. He's made promises to us about the kind of life that we can live. And we just need to take what he's already given. Now, Joshua 1 closes with a response from those two and a half tribes. Here's what it is, verses 16 to 18. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong 
and courageous. Would you say those last five words with me? Only be strong and courageous. That's how Joshua 1 ends, and that's how we're going to conclude this morning. They said those words to each other because they were going to take hold of their tomorrows together as a community, as a team. And I pray that we will do this as well. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Father God, we give you thanks for your word that teaches us, that challenges us. And Lord, you tell us in your word that we can walk into tomorrow without fear. Lord, may we take hold of your promises and your principles, and may we rest in your unfailing presence, knowing, God, whatever we encounter, whatever we face in the future, you are always with us, that you will never leave or forsake us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I I pray uh, right now for anyone who is in this room and they have never entered into a relationship with you. Lord, I, I ask that you would open their heart right now. Lord, that you would open their eyes and their mind right now, that you would, Lord, grant them repentance and turn from their sins and grant them, Father, faith that they would turn to you and trust, that they would trust in what your son Jesus did on the cross, dying for the sins of the world so that their sins might be forgiven. Lord, may this happen even now, even today. Lord, you have loved us in Jesus and we can never say thank you enough And we look forward, Father, to walking with you into tomorrow, knowing that you are good, that you are strong, and that you are full of love and mercy toward us. We ask these things now in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all God's people together say,